Well, I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter number 29. Here in this passage of Scripture, God's breaking Israel. He's breaking them uh, by having them in captivity in Babylon. As a matter of fact, uh, they're beginning to wonder, does God even care? Does God care about me? Does God know where we're at? Does God uh, still move? Does God do anything? And so Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is going to write a letter to the captives. And in that letter, he's being moved of God to say some things. God's going to be speaking to them. And he says something in Jeremiah 29, 11 that's applicable to every one of our lives, especially in the realm of brokenness. For the past four weeks, we've been going through a series of messages that I've entitled Brokenness. And we're in a two-part series right now in that series of messages uh, about the instruments of brokenness. Last week we talked about four. This week I want to give you four more in closing uh, this sermon series on brokenness. God loves us enough to break us. Remember what we said initially. The principle of brokenness is just because God is silent does not mean He's abandoned you. If you can't hear from God, you're a born-again child of God, you're praying and, and you feel like the heavens are brass, you feel like uh, God is silent, do not take that as God's abandonment. God is at work in your life. God is moving in your life. That silence God can use, and we'll look at that here in just a few moments, as an instrument to draw you closer to Him. That we would not be sufficient upon ourselves in self-sufficiency, but we'd be sufficient unto God. And then we came back the next week and we talked about the process of brokenness. And we just simply said, well, we wish that brokenness was just an event, one event that happened in our lives. And uh, that was it. We learned our lesson. The problem is we're hard-headed, amen? I mean, we get a little bit stubborn. And uh, because we're hard-headed and stubborn, God has to break us through a process. And so we might go through the course of our lives through several different uh, tragedies. And these tragedies that we experience, God uses them. Uh, to speak truth into our lives, that we might come closer to God Almighty. Uh, I think uh, Paul is a good example of this. We've been using 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, where Paul says, I've prayed three times that, that God would remove this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, but he will not do it. He will not do it because if he removes it, I, I have the tendency to boast in myself, and God doesn't want me to boast in myself. He wants me to boast in Him. And so what I have found, according to Paul, he says, I have found that when I'm weak, that's when I'm the strongest. And so God, in knowing what's best for us, will break us so that we're weak in order for us to be strong. It's completely, it's a complete paradigm shift to our society today. I mean, you think about our military. Our military is strong because our military doesn't surrender. But for a born-again child of God, do we it? In order for us to be strong, we've got to fully surrender to God every day. Now, it's completely opposite. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. That's why he said uh, there over in the book of Hebrews, the powers that be are ordained by God. Thank God for our civil uh, authorities that God's put in place to exercise and to move in the way a government should move with the Judeo-Christian principles. That's where we got to get back to. But I'm telling you, in order for us to move forward as a born-again child of God, God's got to break us. And He breaks us so that He can use us. God never uses 
anything until he first breaks it. You think about your own life, how God's used it. I think about my life, how God has used my ministry through the years and how there have been uh, the process of brokenness. And God's still breaking us even today. You look at my life and you see that God is continuing to break us. And then we talked about the instruments. There are some instruments that God uses to break us. And we talked about four of them last week. We saw in Scripture that God uses Satan to break us. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, this issue of, uh, uh, of, of uh, 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 what's the guy's name in the Bible? Job. There he is. Job. I knew he was up there somewhere. It's coming out. It's coming out. Job. Uh, Job's a perfect example of this. Uh, you also have uh, sin. Sin is another instrument that God uses. We uh, talked about uh, David was a good illustration of this. David's sin uh, broke him and brought him closer to God. Uh, the spoken word. We talked about Nathan last week, how Nathan was used in David's life to speak the word of God into him. Uh, and then we talked about suffering. And then there's countless, countless, all through the scriptures, you see suffering happening where God causes an individual to suffer so that their dependence would be upon them. We talked about Jonah uh, as being one of those illustrations. So let's pick up where we left off last week, and let me give you number five. But before we do, I want to use this passage over here in Jeremiah 29 as our springboard. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word as we close out this series of messages on brokenness. Here's what God says to the children of Israel and parenthetically to us by way of application. God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now, let me pause and say something there parenthetically. That word thought there is where we get our English word plans and purposes. Young people, very carefully listen to pastor. God has got plans and purposes for you. He's got them for you. God is still working. He's working on your plan A. He doesn't have an alternative plan for you. He's got a plan A for you. He's going to work that. As a matter of fact, everybody around you, God's working in their plan A too. Okay? Uh, adults have a harder time realizing that and understanding that though a lot of times. But God has a plan for you that only you can accomplish. And I'm telling you, God wants to use you to accomplish that plan. So you be surrendered to him. He says, I know the plans, the purposes, the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now that term expected end there means a future hope. Remember, our home is in heaven. This world is not our home. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. Watch this. We live the abundant life. We live the abundant life as a born-again child of God. But this is not our best life. I'm telling you, there's something there. This is not our best life. Our best life is in heaven. What we have now is the abundant life. God wants to use the abundant life to impact this generation for Christ. You may be seated for prayer. A whole other message, Lord, help me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, the best that I know how, Yield myself to you, only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. God, we love you. Thank you for what you've already done today. In the name of Jesus, I pray you would strengthen my voice once again. Uh, God, uh, may your word be highlighted this morning. Speak truth into our lives. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So number five, here's the fifth one if you're just going right in order along with me. Number five, the fifth instrument that God uses is God can use loss to produce brokenness in us. God can use loss to produce brokenness in us. Sometimes 
God, God produces brokenness by stripping us of everything that we have. He removes everything that we have. Sometimes God will remove it. Uh, a lot of times we're living in a day where we rely upon things rather than upon Him. Or we love stuff more than we love Him. Uh, or we receive our identity from popularity rather than receiving our identity in Him. Uh, there's many times where we place temporal things in front of Him. Or we hold ourselves dear and valuable instead of holding Christ Jesus valuable and dear to our hearts. So this may be one of the most painful tools that God uses when He begins to systematically strip us of everything because we're substituting obedience for other things. It may be career. God may strip you of your career. It may be family members. It may be financial assets, houses, clothes, cars, things. could be a community, a location, or even a church. The greatest thing God can do for us is to absolutely strip us of everything where we stand naked before Him and we just simply say, God, I don't have anything else. You're all that I've got. And it's at that point when we realize that God is all we got, then we're in the point of victory. Where our sufficiency is upon Him. I think about Joseph. Joseph is a good illustration of this over in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was a gifted, brilliant young man. He absolutely had amazing thoughts, amazing plans. There was only one thing with Joseph in Joseph's life. He was a very arrogant, he was a very proud, he was a very boastful and self-confident young person. And yet God wanted to use him, but before God could use Joseph, he had to break him. And God would someday make Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. But first, the first thing he had to do was make him a slave. And as he made him a slave, he was then turned into a convicted criminal, did, was accused of things that he did not do. It would have been very easy for Joseph to say, God, where are you at? God, you're supposed to love me. I'm supposed to be your child. I'm, you're supposed to pour out blessings on me. And here I am in jail, away from my family. My family thinks I'm dead. My brothers wanted me killed. And look where I'm at. For more than 10 years, I've been in prison. But then, when he was broken, promotion day came. And Joseph, although he didn't even own a clean, decent set of clothes, when God totally stripped him of everything, and pride was annihilated in Joseph's life, God exalted him to a position of excellence. I think about Moses. Moses, a godly man. God had given him the great privileges uh, that he had as the man of God. God had watched over him, gave him a child late in his life. Uh, God absolutely did a great work in Moses' life. And then God said, I'm going to take something away from you. I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to take him up on that hill, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Can you imagine the turmoil that was going on in Moses' life? As he told all of his, uh, all of his workers, y'all just stay here, y'all stay here. I'm going to go up there and sacrifice unto the Lord, and I'll be back. Can you imagine the turmoil and the struggle that was going on in his life as he made his way up to that altar? And his son Isaac was saying, where's the sacrifice, Dad? Where's the sacrifice? And Moses would say, God is going to provide. God is going, excuse me, Abraham. That's all, folks. 
Abraham, I'm going to provide. And finally, what happens? Abraham made provision, or God made provision for Abraham. And God took that situation where he wanted everything out of, out of Abraham's life and gave him, a one, gave him his son back, and God used that in his life. God uh, takes great glory in putting us in positions where we absolutely have our hope and trust in him. Uh, I also do think of Moses in this situation, too. You remember the first 40 years of his life. Uh, he was there in, the, in Pharaoh's chambers. And there he was studying to be the next Pharaoh. But then what, did he, what happened in Moses' life? He killed a man. And he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness out there uh, tending sheep. Here was the smartest man in Egypt now herding sheep. For 40 years, year after year, here's this man who is the smartest man around, and yet we find him herding sheep. It's comparable to a rocket scientist working at the QT. He absolutely wanted to be used in such a capacity, but he was on the run. God had to break him. I think Paul said it best in Philippians 3.8 when Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things. God uses his stripping powers to bring us to the end of his self. So that our dependence would be upon Him. God can use loss. Maybe the loss that you're experiencing today. Maybe the loss in your life where you just, boy, I'm struggling with this. God is using that to break you and bring you closer to Himself. Here's number number six. God also can use life to produce brokenness. God can use life to produce brokenness. Sometimes God uses major life decisions to break us. Uh, We go through this life, and we might have two or three major decisions in our life. And God is wanting to use those major decisions for us to put our dependence upon Him. But a lot of times, we make these decisions in our own wisdom. And we find out our own inadequacies. Or we have our own reasoning ability, and we find out that there's inadequacies in those things. And we're forced, if you will, in a position of a life-changing event to trust God and see what God wants to do. This happened in my own life. Uh, Miriam and I left uh, Gadsden, Alabama in 1997, just the two of us. Uh, We loaded up the cars, and we moved to Carroll County. And uh, here we were in Georgia. Born and raised, hadn't been out of Alabama much, and here we come over here uh, as uh, Georgians, new to town, and uh, got there and started ministering at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, we had plans to be there for 30 years. That was our plans. But God interrupted those plans. Before that, we had plans to be at Cherry Street Baptist Church for, uh, until Jesus came back. But God had other plans. Before that, I had plans to become a a nurse. I wanted to go into the nursing uh, field. And, man, I was excited about that. But God changed those plans. It's amazing how your life can make decisions and God can intervene and interact and hit you at one of the crossroads of your life and change your plans. I'm going to be honest with you, I never thought we'd come into, coming up here to North Georgia. I really, uh, I told Miriam, when, uh, when the church came calling on us, y'all, you realize this, those of you that are new here at Maysville, uh, when Maysville came uh, to see me, it took them four weeks to, to show up at Mount Pleasant because there were 12 members on the, on the search team. 12 members on the search team. An average search team has about four or five. They had 12. I told Miriam, I said, this ain't going to last long. You can't get 12 Baptists to agree on anything. So you ain't got to worry. We ain't, going, we ain't going to northeast Georgia. And look where I stand today. So how does something like that happen? God. God breaks us and changes, changes our mind. He changes our heart. 
He moves us in ways that we would not move ourselves. We find that God uses life, if you will, and life choices to put our dependence upon Him. Number seven. Here's the next one. God uses loneliness to produce brokenness in us. God uses loneliness to produce brokenness in us. Loneliness is a very effective tool that God uses to produce brokenness in our lives. I think about uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, Jacob was there whose brothers had threw him there, uh, if you would. Uh, excuse me, not, not that. Say, so, Shane, what's your problem? I'll tell you what my problem is. I'm happy in Jesus. That's my problem. Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, his name means deceiver or schemer. And he did, do, he did a good job of living up to his name until one night uh, God broke him and he changed him, both his name and also changed his nature. He wrestled all night with the angel of the Lord, the Bible says, until the angel touched his hip and caused him to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And as the night began, the Bible says over in Genesis chapter 32, in verse number 24, the Bible says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like you were all alone? If you've ever felt like you're all alone, you're in a great place where God wants to do a great work in your life. God is good at giving us exactly what we need at exactly the time that we need it. And in giving us exactly what we need in exactly that right time that we need it, He breaks us to the capacity where our dependence is not upon our self-sufficiency, but we place our dependence upon God. And in doing so, He's able to use us in a more valuable way for His glory and for His honor. God did this with Jacob. And the Bible says He was left alone. All alone, nobody was there, nobody was with him. A lot of times we get so busy in this world, we get so excited about what's going on around us with our jobs and with our families, and we go and we go and we go and we go and we go, and we never stop and listen to the still small voice of God. And so God uses things in our life to break us to a capacity where we'll stop and we will listen and we'll hear God clearly. When God says move forward, we move forward. When God says move back, we move back. When he says move to the side, we move to the side. But God can use that loneliness that you're in to listen and hear that still small voice of the Lord. We may lose all of our friends, our families. Uh, we may feel like God is not there. But the fact of the matter is God told us as believers, he told us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. I think about that proverb, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. Over in Proverbs 24, 10, the Bible says this. If thou wilt faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. It just simply says this. If you fall to pieces when a crisis happens in your, lives, in your life, then there really wasn't much to you to begin with. When you fall to pieces when there's a crisis in your life as a born-again child of God, then there really much, wasn't much to you. I mean, because it's one thing to sing, Lord, you're mighty, Lord, you're holy, Lord, you're righteous, Lord, you're wonderful. It's easy to do that on Sunday morning. But what about when you lose a baby? What about when you find out your spouse has been unfaithful to you? What about when you lose a job? What about when you're lonely? What about when there's sin sickness in your heart? You want God to move so bad, but you don't know where he's at. You wonder where he's located. I was a counselor before I, God called me into youth ministry. I was a counselor at a drug rehab center in 
Gadsden, Alabama, up on Nakaluta Mountain. It was a wilderness program. And uh, this, this great idea, let's put about 40 or 50 drug addicts in the woods in vinyl tents. And let's put one person out there from 7 p.m. at night till 7 in the morning to make sure that they get their showers, eat their supper, uh, get in bed, and sleep throughout the night without huffing the gas uh, up, up in the barn. That was my job. It was wonderful. Lonely, wonderful. And man, I can remember some of those nights, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, not a sound. I'd had to, I had to do a head count every 30 minutes to make sure everybody was in their cot and nobody was missing. Man, I, I can remember uh, some of those nights, they felt like they'd go on and on and on forever. Is the day ever going to break? Is dawn ever going to come? Oh, listen to me, dear friend. You may be in the darkest part of the night. You may not know if the sun's ever going to come up. Take hope, child of God. The sun will shine. The sun is already shining. It just hadn't come over the horizon yet. But I'm telling you, when it does, the day will break and the light will come and there'll be refreshment that will come from the Lord. You may be experiencing loneliness right now but the dawn is going to break and God will move and speak truth into your life he done it with Jacob he done it with Abraham he did it with Moses he did it with David I'm telling you he's a God that's the same yesterday he's the same today he's the same forever and he uses these things to break us in our life so that our dependence will be upon God just because it's dark today does not does not mean it'll be dark tomorrow he uses loneliness to produce brokenness. He uses life to produce brokenness. He uses loss to produce brokenness. And then, last of all this morning, he uses lostness to produce brokenness in our life. He uses lostness. Lostness is the recognition of the current state and eternal destination of those who are without Christ. Uh, we can know that God will begin to break us when our hearts are not broken for lost people. God will not break our hearts for the lost until He first breaks us. God's desire, if we're going to pray, and we do, around here, you get a prayer group together for some time, somebody's going to say, Lord, break our hearts for lost people. And I really believe that's the desire of our heart as a church. We want God to break our hearts for lost people. But if God's going to break our heart for lost people, He's first going to break us. And He may use Satan. He may use sin. He may use the spoken word. He may use suffering. He may use loss. He may use, use life lessons. He might use loneliness. But I'm telling you, he's going to break our hearts so that we will be concerned about the lostness that exists in this area, that exists in this region, and that exists around the world. God wants there to be brokenness over the lostness. What I find fascinating is when you study this and you look at lostness, you see that in the midst of being broken, you always see God's blessing. Let me say it again and then I'll illustrate it. In the midst of being broken, you oftentimes see God's blessing. There is no doubt that God has just taken us as a church through a season of brokenness. The, the messages could not have come at a more timely time. Uh, God had moved in an amazing way. Where God is breaking our hearts. Revival starts next week. You know, how many of you remember two-week revivals? Let me see your hand. Who remember two? Have you ever been a two-week revival? 
All right. I'm telling you what, they were something else, weren't they? Man, two-week revivals, hard. And now what they do, they go through Wednesday. But the principles don't change, Keith. What I'm talking about is this. Before any great revival, God has already moved before he moves at revival. And I'm telling you, that's where we're at at Maisel. For two weeks, God has already been moving. If you're on our journey together, then uh, today being uh, the 29th, it's day 29. And if you're moving with us through our prayer journey, there's th- there were 35 days when we started. And God is moving uh, in the course of our lives and breaking us through the course of our lives. And the next stage is breaking our hearts for lost people and the lostness that's in our area. But in the midst of the brokenness that we're experiencing, we see God's blessing. So what do you mean? I'm talking about lives that are changed. People that are getting saved. People that are surrendering for baptism. We've got some 17 plus on a waiting list to be baptized. And we're uh, reaching out, trying to get them ready. We see blessings in the form of faithfulness in giving. Last week you, uh, we had uh, some, man, some faithful, faithful gifts that were given last Sunday. I had $2,000 that cash, we don't know who, it just don't know who did it, but gave to the building out there. And man, we were rejoicing and so grateful over that, that gift. What a joy that was and excitement. And then Monday came. And in the midst of brokenness and excitement and blessings that come, a check came into the church. An anonymous individual who begged not to be revealed, just simply said this, we believe in the souls that are being saved upon that hillside. And we want to make, watch this, an eternal investment in the students and in the children and in those babies that have yet to be born. And so here's a check for $100,000 for your gymnasium. In the, mid, in the midst of of brokenness comes blessing. And I think one of our biggest challenges is the challenge of surrender. We want to all get together and we want to just say, hey, look at it. Well, I've done the I've, I've done the numbers. We got this. We can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It seems to me that you've got more dependence upon yourself than you do upon me. So I'm going to break you. And through that brokenness, your attention's going to be upon me. And then when you think it is so hot and so hard and the adversity is so difficult, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you a sweet blessing from, from me. Why? Because I love you. See, church, here's, here's what's so vitally important. We have got to let brokenness have her perfect work in us. And you've got to be willing to be broken because you can resist it. You can say, I don't, man, I, I don't want to go through that hard time. And you can complain, you can shake your fist at God. You, look, but here, here's let me tell you what I've learned over the course of my ministry. I have learned that when I fight with God, I always lose. If I, ha- I have never won an argument with God. 
Never. He's always corrected me. Always. And I have found that when God breaks, I'm just talking personally here, when God breaks me, the first thing that I recognize is there's a lost and dying world around me that God wants me to be highly aware of. So, so why, why, is it, why is it that we, we lose our passion for lost people? Why is it that we pray and pray and pray, God, break our hearts for lost people, break our hearts for lost people? And why is it that we, that we pray that but we don't obey that? You see, A.W. Tozer said, never, ever, ever substitute obedience for prayer. He said, God will not bless it. He will not bless when you substitute uh, prayer for obedience. You've got to always be obedient to God. And it's through that obedience you find yourself in a position of prayer. And the posture of prayer is where your heart's united with God. And he gives you the desires of your heart. So God uses brokenness in the arena of lostness so that our eyes will be cast upon him. I wrote down some things why we lose our passion for the lost. And here's some of them in closing. Number one, because we become cocooned among believers. I mean, here we are. We're just together. We're always together. We're cocooned together amongst believers. If we are praying and we're saying, God, break our hearts for lost people, then bless God, we've got to open our eyes when we're around lost people. Some of you today are going to be going out. You're going to be eat at restaurants. Some of you are going to go over here to the Mexican restaurant. I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's those individuals that are working in the Mexican restaurant. They need Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to take just an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, some are going to go over to Ruby Tuesdays. Uh, others will go to Cracker Barrel. Uh, some of you will go to Sonic. Woohoo! I mean, it'll just be great. But I'm telling you, everywhere we go, people need Jesus. So, well, I don't want to tell Jesus. Tell people about Jesus everywhere that I go. Really? You don't? Why not listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God and search your heart? Because God told us, He says, as we're going, as we're going, so I'm in a, I'm in a hurry. So am I. And I think that's one of our biggest problems, is we're in a hurry. Maybe we need to get up a few minutes early and have our quiet time. And really take time to spend time with God. Maybe we need to leave a few minutes early and get to church on time where we can fellowship with the brothers and sisters and not just rush in and sit down. A lot of times we become cocooned among unbelievers and we can't see lost people. Number two, we look at the crowds wrongly. We go out and we look at crowds and we say, I don't like crowds. I don't like them. I don't, I don't like that. There's just too many people. I don't want to be involved in that. Too loud. Really, the bottom line is simply this. In that crowd are lost people. And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear unless somebody goes and shares the good news of Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, if we're going to look at crowds through the eyes of Jesus, what did Jesus say? When Jesus looked at the crowd, he says, I see sheep without a shepherd. Another reason why we lose our passion for lost people is that we don't love lost people like we do saved people. I mean, we don't. I mean, they drink. Lost people drink. Lost people cuss. Uh, 
my dad was, man, my dad's a great man. I, I, I mean, Robbie Robertson, he, he really taught me a lot <laughs> growing up. And uh, I told my dad one day, I was 15, about turned 16 years old. And I told my dad, I said, uh, he, he was telling me, he said, son, you got to get a job. I said, that's fine. But as a 15-year-old punk, this is what I said, about turned 16. I said, that's fine, but I ain't working at no McDonald's. And I ain't working at no Burger King either. You can take that fast food stuff, and I ain't, I ain't doing that, Dad. He said, why? I said, I'll get in there, and that grease will be popping everywhere. I get zits all over my face. I ain't doing that. You can forget it. Dad said, okay. He picked up the phone and called Dan Weeks. That was Danny Weeks' daddy, my, my, one of my friends. He said, Dan, let me tell you what Shane said. Relayed that story to Dan. Dan said, you know what? Let me tell you a story about Danny. They shared exchange stories, and then they came up with this plan. They called Randall Lipscomb, who owned a flat-top roofing company. They said, my, our boys have got this real issue. said, they don't want to work fast food this summer. You got two positions for two grunts? Oh, Randall said, I always got room for a grunt. Bring them on over first thing Monday morning. Now, I'm going to tell you something about my dad. My dad never let me quit anything. He never let me quit. I had to do it all the way through. If I started it, I had to finish it, unless my grades were bad. If my grades were bad, then he made me quit. Here's one time I had to quit peewee baseball because I made a C on my report card, and uh, he made me quit. Man, I hated it. I cried for weeks and weeks and weeks. There's a deep, deep scar. In fact, I'm in CR right now because of it. <laughs> And so uh, I got there uh, on that job, and, and he wouldn't, because he wouldn't let me quit. When we got up there with that pitch, I worked that whole summer. Danny quit on day two. Did he quit on day two? I begged Dad, Dad, please let me quit. Please. We'd get up there. The sun would be beating down, and we might have some, we might have some flat blacktop roofers here today. Look, y'all, we, we brothers. We one of a kind. I know. I speak your language, and I ain't something to be proud of. But the fact of the matter is, we'd do that. Man, we'd cut that, that, uh, that roof up, and there'd be that insulation. It'd get in your eyes, and that pitch, oh, my goodness, it would burn. I, the, only, the only positive thing is I had a real good tan that summer. I did. I really had a good tan, uh, but my skin was like leather. I can remember going home, cutting the air conditioner on high, laying on the couch, and just let the air blow on me, and I'd cry. Me and tears would be streaming down my face. My dad would walk in and say, how's your job? Daddy, can I please quit? Danny, he quit four weeks ago. Daddy, we said, you ain't quitting, son. This is, you said you didn't want to work in no fast food. You get out there and you said, you, you just you get, keep right on it. Keep right on it. I worked that whole summer. I, I could not wait. Here's the thing about my grades. I couldn't make bad grades because it was summertime. I mean, I was absolutely in a pickle. After that was over, summer came to an end. I turned in my two-week uh, notice. Man, I'm, I'm out of here. And you know what the next job I got? Barbecue Bob's. <laughs> I was the pit master. You know, the only thing worse than uh, McDonald's uh, grease is, yeah, is getting in there with those, with those pigs and all those drippings. I mean, it was just absolutely nasty. I mean, it was disgusting. I was the happiest person. I mean, I was cleaning up that, I was cleaning up that slot, man. I just was just having a big time. My dad taught me some lessons about brokenness. God, being a God of love and mercy and tender kindness, teaches us the same things. He teaches us by breaking us. 
God never uses anybody until he first breaks them. Here's something else that I found. I found also that the reason why I don't care for lostness or I, I pray that God would break our heart for lost people is because I've allowed grace to become routine. You allow grace just to become routine. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved? You hear me talk about it a lot. I talk about March 22nd, 1988. That's the day I received Christ as my personal Savior. On that day, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I haven't got over that day since. Now, I, I, listen, not only do I do that from the pulpit, I do that in my own personal quiet time life. I'll remember, I'll think back as a 14-year-old boy holding on to that chair in front of me during the invitation and God speaking so clearly to my heart saying, Shane, I died for you. I love you. I want you. I want you to come and be saved. And turning loose and by my own free volition, by my own will, step forward and I gave my hand to the principal, gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I got changed forever and I've never been the same sense. And I get excited about that. I really do. But sometimes grace will just become routine. Man, the, I remember the first day I got saved. Man, I walked out of the room. Hey, guess what? I got saved. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Man, hey, guess what? I got saved. Hey, guess what? I got saved. I got saved. My grandmother said, my stars, is that all he's going to talk about? I'll be glad when this is over. I'm 44 years old now. It ain't over yet. Don't let grace become routine. And then I wrote two more things and I close. A lot of times we don't, aren't concerned about lostness. is because we don't reflect enough on obedience. It's easy for us to get into the crowds and to stand up and say, Lord, break our heart for lost people. But it's very difficult to go out and share your faith. Oh, I'm not saying that it's easy. No, it's very hard. But it's something we're called to do. We are called to go and share our faith. And then last of all, the reason why God breaks our heart for lostness is because we've made evangelism corporate. Instead of individualized. So, so what do you mean? Well, we get in this routine where we think the only people that can be saved are those that come to Sunday morning worship. Or Sunday night worship. Or Wednesday night. That the only way for someone to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord is they've got to call a meeting with a preacher. No, no friend, listen. You've got just as much knowledge as, as I have if you're born again. If you have gotten saved, you've got everything that you need. So, well, bless God, I hadn't taken faith yet. That's okay. The fact of the matter is, winning someone to Jesus is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And the bread is the bread of life. It's Jesus. Don't fall into the routine that evangelism is something that's corporate. No, it's individualized. You're responsible to go share your faith. I'm responsible to go share your faith. When we get excited about, about the pastor's uh, uh, gas station ministry, well, what's yours? You can have it. I'll give it to you. You can have a gas station ministry. Just go up expecting as you're pumping gas. I'm expecting somebody to come and ask me for something, and I can't wait to give them Jesus. I mean, that's basically all it is. 
it is. If I'm standing in line at the grocery store and I'm just standing there, here's my expectation. Somebody's going to come by me and they're going to say something, going to say hi. They're going to say, you got funny looking kids. or They're going to do something that's going to get my attention where I can tell them about Jesus. Yesterday I was there at the grocery store and as I was at the store, I was uh, talking there to the, to the cashier. And the cashier just uh, said, I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I got one of them chocolate milks. Uh, I drank it before I got home. That's why I'm, I'm confessing. You know, they, they beep. They say, do you want me to leave this out? And I said, yeah, it's going to be gone before I get to the house. So it's one of them, them, them uh, what kind of chocolate milks is that? And my wife in there, what kind of chocolate milk is that? Promised land. Oh, mercy. That's, that's manna from heaven. Promised land chocolate milk. It's worth that $1.50 just to drink that little bit. I mean, it's just wonderful. And so really, uh, so do you, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you. It's prom- promised land. Promised land. Uh, yeah, I like chocolate milk too. I do too. Let me tell you something else I like. I like the fact that I get to go to church tomorrow. Man, I'm telling you, when you talk to people, there's opportunities at every, every word just to shift the conversation and say a good word about Jesus Christ. If we really want God to break us and break our hearts for lost people, He first is going to break us personally. He might use Satan. He might use sin. He might use the spoken word of God, suffering, loss, life, loneliness. But he will break us for lostness. So when things happen in your life, don't complain. Don't grow angry. Don't grow bitter. Allow God to work through those situations. To produce the fruits of righteousness. To lead you to closer dependence upon God. Has God been doing a work of brokenness in you? Has God been orchestrating some things in your life to where he's breaking you? And you wonder, is God even here? Listen to me, dear friend. Don't resist. Don't get angry. Don't get bitter. Don't run away from God. Run to God. Run to him. The only reason why you feel isolated is because you've locked yourself into the prison of isolation. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And really the bottom line is simply this. One of the reasons why we walk away from God is because we don't feel like He loves us. We don't feel like He's there. You know what we do? We put, really put our trust on our feelings, don't we? And so what God does is He says, All right, I'll let you go down that path. I'll let you put your trust in your feelings. But you won't be happy. You won't be healthy. You won't be righteous. You will find yourself to a point of isolation. And when you get to that place of isolation, then what happens next is despair. And any time despair settles in on an individual, they always do something they regret. Get a drink. Smoke some dope. Sleep around. Have an affair. Always do something they'd never normally do. I wouldn't normally do this, but... No, see, that's where you got in trouble. Your butt got you in trouble. It's the truth. It's the truth. Thank God he's a God of another chance. Why don't you come and get right with him? Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you love us enough 
to break us of ourselves. Lord, I pray that if we're experiencing brokenness, and I know we are, but God, there may be somebody here today that's experiencing brokenness from the perspective that they're lost, they're dying, and they're on their way to hell. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would understand that you paid the price on Calvary's cross for their sins. And God, I pray that this morning they would trust you as their personal Savior and Lord and allow the brokenness that you've brought them through to put their dependence upon you. God, there are some today that are running away from you. I pray that they'd stop running away and start running towards you for your glory and honor. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this invitation. Blessed, I pray, in Jesus' name. We're going to stand here in just a few moments, but before we lift our heads and stand up with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe God's wanting to break you of yourself. Dear friend, this morning as God is moving in this building, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I don't want to die and go to hell. Pastor, I don't want to do that. I need to be saved. I need to give my heart to Jesus. And dear friend, right where you're at today, from your heart to God's heart, why don't you do what Romans says? Why don't you call out to God, say something like this to Him. Right where you're at, say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I repent of my sin. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name.